my father would always say, take what you have and make what you want. And so I had to figure out how could I use my current situation to create the situation that I wanted. That was Faith McKinney of Faith McKinney LLC. She's an entrepreneur, a published author of Schmingling, The Art of Being Well-Connected Through Blatant Self-Promotion. She's also a media expert, and she interviews celebrities while producing a TV show, and she's contributed content for CNN. Here's the kicker. She's done all of this while working full-time as a janitor. Now, if you're well acquainted with excuses, or as adults, uh, as we call them, justifications, uh, you're going to want to check those at the door. As you're going to find out through Faith's story, there really is no excuse to not go get the things that you want in life. Like the saying goes, when there's a will, there's a way. I'm your host, Eric Clark. You're listening to the Honest to Goodness podcast, where I interview entrepreneurs from around the world. It's one part practicality and one part inspiration, and I hope to bring you value through stories. If you like what you hear and you've enjoyed the podcast, please leave us a rating and review on iTunes. It means a ton to me and gives me feedback so I know how to continuously improve this. I was a young mother. I was in my mid-20s and I have a daughter who has special needs. She needs she has profound um, cerebral palsy, autism, developmental delay. Cerebral palsy is a group of permanent movement disorders that appear in early childhood. Um, you know, she, she just needs 24 hours of care. And one of the things that, um, well, at the time I, I worked at the post office, which it was a full-time job for many, many, many years. And if anybody understands the post office world, If you go into the post office, you're gonna work nights and weekends. And I needed that time to be with my family. I needed that time. Um, I was um, married at the time to my first husband and um, I needed to be with my family during the night and during the weekend. So the only way I could do that was to become a janitor. So I'm a parent, I have two kids, and having a child or two (laughs) is challenging. You literally gain a new identity. One minute I wasn't a dad, and the next I was. I honestly can't, truly, I truly cannot imagine what Faith went through especially being in her early 20s, raising a child with cerebral palsy. I mean, let's be honest, when I was in my early 20s, I was a complete and absolute idiot. But it's important to pay attention to Faith's perspective. She kept things moving, and her main goal, focus, and objective was to keep her daughter happy. Happy. That's the word she chose. Make sure her daughter is happy. I think there's a quote I heard one at one point in time, and uh, an adult asked a kid, what do you want to be when you grow up? Typical answer, doctor, vet, whatever. The response was, I want to be happy. So let's hear how she progresses through all of this. 
she's made some sacrifices. Uh, you know, speaking of identity, a lot of people wrap their identity up in what they do for a living. I mean, heck, it's the first thing people ask you in a social setting. So what do you do? She's a new mom and she has to take on a new position as a janitor. Talk about an identity change. When I, when I learned that my daughter had special needs, you know, after she was born, yeah, I said, well, this is going to make a great story. This is going to, it's going to help. And um, um, at the time I was 20 years old when she was born and I didn't want to, um, I was overwhelmed. I was um, in denial for a long time. And all I wanted to do was make sure that she was happy. You know, I wanted to make sure that that she didn't necessarily suffer. But for my own sanity, I couldn't, you know, be the person who was going and doing research. I couldn't be the person that was going and, and finding cures and fighting this and fighting that. I couldn't do that. I didn't have that in me at the time. So, you know, there were a lot of things that I probably should have done. Um, but I didn't do because I, I couldn't handle that. I needed to keep it moving. And, and that was really the, my, lo my slogan for the rest of, you know, gosh, from that time on, keep it moving, you know, make sure she's happy, make sure things are, are working and keep it moving. And, um, you know, she's here with me today. She's 33 years old and um, she's, she's happy <laughs> and we're keeping it moving. And... <laughs> It wasn't a hard decision for me because I thought, well, heck, I'm, I have a job. I still have benefits. I still have everything I had before. I'm not losing anything. It's just the status of the job. And, and then I had to get into my head that, you know, it's, I'm not the job. You know, I'm, that's not who I am. It's what I do. It's what I do to take care of my family. And I really had to do some mental <laughs> juggling a lot. A lot of times when I would, um, you know, I would have to clean the toilets, I would have to mop the floors, and I would have to clean up after people and push the carts. You know, a lot of times I would see people in, in the in the mall and you see them pushing carts with, you know, sweeping the floors. And, and I always thought, you know, that is me. That's that's me doing those things, but I'm so much more than that. And I had to keep playing that in my head every day. I had to keep playing that in my head. And then I realized there, you know, someone had mentioned a way um, that, you know, how Jesus would serve, you know, I'm, I'm a spiritual person, but I, and I thought, you know, how does Jesus serve or how did the disciples serve others? And so I considered that a way of service, you know, it, it's not, something that is to be um, avoided it's it's service to my my colleagues you know how can I make their lives easier in any way and so from then on that's how I thought of it as service to our customers service to my colleagues and um, it helped kind of ease ease the pain and as it went on it got a little tougher <laughs> Perspective is powerful. A friend of mine says, sometimes our perspective can become our reality. 
Faith fought back. She made her reality her perspective, and she flipped her identity as a janitor on its head. She made a conscious decision to not play the victim card, and she chose to serve her coworkers and her customers. And you'll hear she references Jesus. This is a way to create pride in your work and transcend the reality that you're in. Now, that's not all to say things weren't still bad, and it certainly wasn't all candy bars and lollipops, but this is a mental shift, and it's a big deal. Colin Powell said, perpetual optimism is a force multiplier. That means is when you approach a situation through a lens of optimism, you're more likely to generate a better outcome. So Faith eventually learned how to act, how to sing. She hired a coach to work on her speech, but she didn't do any of these things until she was in her forties. Remember when I said to check your excuses at the door? (laughs) If you haven't yet, you better do it now. This is where things begin to really change and doors open up for faith. She believed that her thoughts can become reality. And she found the good in the bad to propel her forward. Well, um, my daughter, when she turned 20, and she's an adult now, and she still has the same profound um, issues. Um, When she turned 20, I was 41. I realized that my life is, (laughs) as it felt, half over at that time. And I hadn't done anything that I wanted to do with my life. I knew that I had a lot that I needed to share with the world. And if I didn't start, then it would never happen. And I, I didn't want to go to my grave without a legacy. Once I, I started doing what I wanted to do or what I needed to do, um, which was working on myself, a lot of self-development. Um, I was a shy, very shy introvert, <laughs> believe it or not. And I took up acting. I took up singing. And I took up, um, I had a, a young coach who helped me to speak or, or really hear learn my voice you know working on that you know in my mid in my early 40s you know getting a really late start um it just made me more hungry to to do the things that i needed to do and to do it um and and it gave me the courage to do it you know i knew that i i didn't have the advantage of, of youth and i didn't have the advantage of a lot of freedom so everything i did i had to make sure that it worked around my schedule for work, worked around my schedule for a babysitter if I needed to get one. Um, Everything I did needed to be, you know, within my city of Indianapolis, you know, because I couldn't very well travel. um, And it needed to be cost effective because, you know, being a janitor, you're not really rich. And it needed to be something that I could speak to. And, um, I always wanted to be famous, even though I was really shy as a kid. I always wanted to be famous, and I always thought that, you know, your thoughts become things, and you can visualize things, and, and things come into fruition. And I heard a, a lady who was saying that, um, or I, I would hear hear people speak, and they would always talk about um, their hard road to be successful and to be famous and how much trouble they had to go through. 
And so in my mind, I thought, wow, okay, I need to go through a lot of hardship (laughs) in order to be successful. And so that's what happened. So everything that was bad that happened to me or seemed bad that happened to me, I I would always say, oh man, that's going to be a great story one day. That's going to be a great story. Oh, wow, this is this is going to be great. And so those stories kind of helped me um, forward my my move forward in my life and move forward in the things that I wanted to do. You know, they were challenging, but they would be great stories, you know, sort of like a, a roller coaster. Nobody likes to ride a flat roller coaster. If your life is flat, it's not very exciting. But if it goes up and down, just like a roller coaster, it's more fun. It's more interesting. And um so that's where that's how I really um, began. In the book Atomic Habits by James Clear, he talks about doing things that the person you're trying to become would be doing. If I want to be a healthful person and lose weight, what is that person eating for breakfast? Probably not donuts. You know, so am I going to make those choices to eat a donut or am I going to eat what I think the person I want to become would eat? Faith realizes this and she asks herself, who do I need to become and what do I need to do to get there? So how do you do something or how do you start doing something? especially if you're not qualified to do it. You just have to start. Start small. Start with something. You'll be fascinated with how things can evolve in your favor when you just start doing and put yourself out there. Moreover, how do you balance two different professions, two identities, two lives? If you're not yet the person you want to become, how do you bridge the gap? Here's what I think. I think you need to embrace you. You need to embrace yourself. Remember when Faith said, she's not the job. She's the person doing the job. If you're doing multiple things, don't get too caught up in the identity of these things. Janitor, interviewer, podcaster, whatever. Be true to who you are. Be true to yourself. You are the common thread. And these two, or more than two worlds, can really work together more than you think. You can blend them. It was at this point when things came together for Faith. She leveraged the social equity she was building to graduate to bigger events, bigger guests, and more recognition. And it all started with taking selfies. And it landed her interviews with government officials, uh, famous people, Mike Pence, Dan Rather. It's when you take those first steps and start doing that you enable serendipity to mingle with luck. It was really all the visualizing, you know, I what I could see at the end. And it was sort of like, okay, this is where I want to be. Um, and this is who I want to become. So how do I get there? You know, what do I have to do? Who do I have to become to be that person that I ultimately want to be? While I was being working as a janitor and doing those other things, 
I really, I, I didn't mention that I didn't have a college degree. I only, I went to college maybe a year. And so I didn't know how I would, you know, get a job anywhere else um, that could, one, have the benefits that I needed and, and two, give me the, the flexibility that I had as a janitor. And so I, I didn't have a plan B, but, you know, as I mentioned, I would always kind of visualize, you know, man, at, at near the end, I would love to work in an, a setting where people are happy. I would love to work in a setting where I can dress up and, and I get, you know, respect, you know, is it is, is a job, um, not necessarily a career outside of, you know, my own business, because it's kind of hard to be a, a celebrity here in Indianapolis. <laughs> We're not in New York or, or California, but um, I just, I just kind of thought, well, I would love to be able to do something like that. And, and I do have to tell you, you know, while I was working um, in, in cleaning, um, I worked at one particular uh, post office station for 18 years. And <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm mopping floors and, and, and emptying trash cans and sweeping the parking lot and cutting grass. And people would come in who recognized me. <laughs> and so it's like, oh my God, what do I do? You know, I'm, I'm supposed to be this other person, this person who's, you know, uh, kind of, you know, a, a social media celebrity here in Indianapolis anyway. And here I am emptying trash. Oh God, what do I do? Do I run? Do I stick it out? What do I do? And most of the time, I put my big girl panties on and, and just kind of face it. The perception that I portrayed somebody who was something else, I understood that. And that was that was painful. Um, and I, after I visualized, hey, I want to work in a, in, in a different setting, um, someone who was one of my fans, <laughs> um, and also worked in the postal service, asked if I would want to work in a different department in sales. And it was like a dream come true. A, you know, a prayer answered, yes, I do. It's it's really funny because a lot of the things that I had to do or that I did to even dip my toe in into getting media was done in the janitor's closet. <laughs> so um, I was, I had reached out to a, um, a writer for Wall Street Journal. I knew she was, you know, inquiring about something. And I said, huh, let me, let me answer her question. And I'm in the janitor's closet corresponding with the Wall Street Journal. It's like, man, nobody would believe this. Oh my God. And then I would take some podcast interviews there too. And um, <laughs> so the things that I did, I, just like you, I had to be able to do it remotely. I had to be able to do it, um, uh, you know, where I was anywhere and, and I realized that that had a lot of, um, that, that worked. And uh, so many of the things that I was um, interviewed for Wall Street Journal or um, mentioned in Wall, Wall, not Washington Post and Essence, I mean, Ebony Magazine, things like that um, were just from the janitor's closet. So one of the things I really wanted to, to prove to people or at least let them know was that, you know, it doesn't matter where you start. It really doesn't. And if you can work it out, you know, do what you can, the best you can, um, you know, things will work out and things will come. Resources will, will show up for you.
I I have um, I had a I have a Kodak camera, a red Kodak camera, and I knew that in order for me to leverage and and use that social equity, I had to start with the the person next door. You know, I start with everybody else. If I met met somebody in a um, or a friend in a, a store at the mall, I said, hey, let's get a selfie, and I started taking selfies with everybody. And it was that time, you know, during Facebook where if you posted in one in if somebody posted in their on their uh timeline everybody in their whole all of their friends would see it and so it made it just multiplied everything so I we did that all the time I did that to everybody and to this day people ask me to take a selfie with them but doing that gave me a lot of social proof and so when I kind of tried to leverage up it was like oh yeah she's okay she does selfies all the time I remember going to a concert and the mayor of Indianapolis was there and one of the organizers, um, I had interviewed him and, and he said, yeah, she's okay. She, she does selfies. And so he, he told the mayor, I'm okay. So what I did was I leveraged the networking organization to give that organizer an award. I said, we're going to give him an award because I need to get on his radar. <laughs> so we're going to have a big celebration and we're going to give him an award for being um, like the, a citizen or a good citizen or something like that. I forgot what it was, but we had a big plaque. We had a photographer. We had, you know, a, a nice hotel lobby because we couldn't afford a conference room. We had to use the lobby for free. And um, it was it was great. And he was so grateful. After a, a month or so, I said, hey, you know, I know you bring these celebrities into town. Would you mind if I interviewed them? And he was like, oh, I don't know. And I said, okay, you know, I kind of took it slow, but I wanted to build that relationship with him because I knew that, you know, bringing in celebrities is, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. And I didn't want to ruin his relationship, but I needed him to trust me. So he trusted me. And my first interview was with Frida Payne, the old uh, singer. Then um, I realized that colleges brought celebrities in too. And I learned that um, Butler University was bringing in Kirk Franklin, I said, wow, I need to get into interview Kirk Franklin. So I called um, just a number of a, a phone number of a person or, you know, in, in their directory who I thought might have a connection. And they said, oh, sure, you can come and interview him. And I'm like, wow, this is great. You know, it's, it's they don't know me from Adam, but I asked and they allowed me to do that. Well, the next person they brought in was Dan Rather. <laughs> and so I said, hey, do you mind if I interview Dan Rather? And he said, sure, come on in. I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm a janitor interviewing the man who's interviewed every living world leader, period. And I'm interviewing him. And, and the whole time I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. My head was like, oh jumping up and down and I was trying to be calm but it was like okay when's he gonna ask me if I'm a real journalist when's he gonna ask me if I'm legit when, when is the bottom gonna fall out but it never did it never ever did and and so that taught me that you know he never asked me if I had a degree to do this but I did it and so now it's it, it 
I love to tell people that, you know, if there's something that you're, you're good at and you could do it, do it. You don't necessarily need that, um, that degree to do what it is that you're doing anyway. For me, it's something that's really internal, sort of like an internal driver, internal burning. I see what I want to do and I've lost friends because they couldn't necessarily see what I see. They didn't understand why I was asking the questions I was asking. They didn't understand, you know, why I was doing what I was doing, but I could see it clearly. And I knew what I was, I knew where I wanted to go. And, and so, you know, step by step, little by little, I kind of celebrated those little victories. You know, the first time you get mentioned in a paper, that's like, oh, wow, that's great. You know, can I get, can I get another one? Can I get this? Can I get that? And just celebrating those victories along the way, um, even though, you know, I still had those voices in my head saying, oh, you know, you're, you're, you're a janitor or you, you, you still live in the hood or, you know, you're, you're not tall, blonde and, and thin, <laughs> none of that. So who's going to want to see you? Those things still kind of played in the background, but my action and the, uh, the accomplishment of me doing those things kind of canceled most of those voices out. And so it was always, okay, so what else can I do? How else can I push the envelope just a little bit? And then let's try this, let's try that. And, and learn from people um, through books or through videos, through um, you know YouTube, anything, any way I can learn about what it is that I wanted to do. Because like you just said, you know, I didn't know there's a word for that. <laughs> you know, there's words for different things. And when you realize there are words, then there's probably content about it. So then, you know, go ahead and, and learn about it and, and try it out. Nobody knows the difference. Nobody, nobody really cares. That's one of the things I learned. Nobody knows what it is that I want to do. And nobody's going to push me to do it because everybody is in their own race. Everybody's running their own race. So if there's something that you want to do, do it, you know, do it. So when those voices swell up in your head and start to seep in and prevent you from doing the things that you want to do, you can feel when that happens kind of seize up just can't take a step forward but the step forward is in fact a step forward the step forward is action your best defense against those voices to quiet them down is action so faith nowadays she's working in sales for the post office and she wants to help others move up the way she did she genuinely and intrinsically wants to pass on the things that she has learned to others. That's why she wrote her book, Schmingling. If you want to learn more about Faith, check out her book or get in touch. You can go to faithmckinney.com, F-A-I-T-H-M-C-K-I-N-N-E-Y.com. I hope you enjoyed today's story. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, leave us a review on iTunes appreciate the feedback. Have a great day.